It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. This is Larry H. Russell, host of Celtics Beat and author of Follow the Boston Celtics. Thank you yet again for downloading the number one podcast on the web, which covers the NBA's winningest franchise, Celtics Beat. CLNS Radio truly values your patrons. Because of your loyalty to making Celtics Beat the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast online, we would love to offer a free copy of my critically acclaimed book available at clnsradio.com slash book. That's clnsradio.com slash book. Happy reading and enjoy today's broadcast. Today is Sunday, August 28th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. The new basketball year is just about upon us. We officially transitioned the calendar to 2016-17 on episode number 171 with NBA TV's Kristen Ledlow. And in these coming weeks, we will begin to preview the new basketball year. Last year, we did the NBA schedule, really the Celtics 2016-17 schedule. And as we talked about last week... During these final few weeks of the doldrums, will Primer the Celts' opposition and rather do the standard divisional breakdowns or an entire conference preview? We sorted it out to get a rundown on the teams that matter. Our committee of one here at Celtics Beat has decided who Boston's rivals are, they of true consequence, and who truly matter outside of the hub. So no, not the Golden State Warriors, but certainly not the Philadelphia 76ers or the New York Knicks, the Milwaukee Bucks either. Those will be teams on the schedule. We're going to look at the immediate roadblocks or potential roadblocks for the Celts in the Eastern Conference and in the playoffs come April, May, dare I say June, the Eastern Conference Finals. Does They do have games that play in June, but anyways, for those who follow CLNS Radio programming closely, many of you listen to our Boston Celtics pregame show, the first pregame show to air anywhere in the lead-up to tip on Celtics game days, and for each and every episode, we feature an interview from a prominent individual who either covers or works for Boston's opposition that night. Be it an announcer, a beat writer, an assistant coach, even had a general manager on to get a primer on that very team, a differentiating viewpoint on the Celtics, and of course, analysis on a matchup with Boston. So likewise, consider these next few weeks to be very similar. And if you like what you hear these next three weeks, you'll certainly love our pregame shows, which are hosted by yours truly. They run about 12 to 15 minutes, no more. And they're available game days at 4 p.m. Eastern time on clnsradio.com and of course the CLNS Radio mobile app. So this week... We will highlight two teams, and to make this a little fun, we'll keep the lid on who those teams are just a little bit in the coming weeks to add a shrivel of surprise to this. We'll reveal everything on a show-by-show basis, and for today's broadcast, we'll speak to two longtime color commentators for their respective teams. Coach Jack Armstrong of TSN, the television home of the Toronto Raptors, and Fox Sports Indiana's Quinn Buckner, yes, former Celtic, key of that famed 1984 World Championship team, Mr. Quinn Buckner, the VP of Communications for the Indiana Pacers, coming up on episode number 172 of Celtics Beat, which this week is being presented by Blue Apron and American Famous Network.com. Want to give a shout out here to Brendan, Brendan E., Don't want to give out anyone's last name without their permission, but just enough 
of an identity for that individual to know and to get appropriate props and credit for, who I assume is listening to this, thanking them for this great idea. We love those who listen week after week, and even those who communicate with us daily, be it to talk Celtics or pitch ideas for the show. Again, my Twitter handle is at CLNS underscore LHR. That is at CLNS underscore LHR. Hit me up there for whatever Celtics talk, NBA discussion, praises, critiques, ideas. Oh, and you can win a free autographed Paul Pierce photo by simply just following that account. And also, as I push for every week and make this no different, ratings and reviews on iTunes. That is the best way to offer feedback. Really a big help. A bigger help than you can believe. And while it sounds like a lot, it only takes the 20 seconds of your time. One quick caveat to that, though. Can't leave a review on iTunes without a subscription. Just the click of a button. So that... A subscription rating and review for Celtics Beat on iTunes goes a long way, and it helps us churn out more shows like what we got coming up these next few weeks. Certainly a far cry from last year when the doldrums period got a little stale here, even I have to admit, in this space when I spent the final few weeks of August and the first few weeks of September whining about the David Lee trade and Danny Ainge's strategy in putting together last year's roster, talking about the impending chemistry issues proved to be correct. Reason for the early season struggles, but yeah, I could see how the listener couldn't tolerate four to five consecutive weeks of the same talking points. So thus, thanks to a few of our loyal listeners who take the time to communicate with me and the rest of the CLNS Radio Brass, I feel like we have some very interesting and very educational shows coming up. I know I'm going to learn a lot from this. It is definitely going to be of value this season. As these few shows, while they'll run these next coming weeks, will almost certainly be evergreen in that they'll be in the archives. You can listen to them whenever. Whenever you need this info on these teams, such as today, the Raptors, the defending Atlantic Division champions, they of 56 wins a season ago and a team in which has sort of gotten to their stature in the Eastern Conference and in the NBA, for that matter, with internal growth and improvements, and did so pretty much similar to the Celtics, only maybe a few years earlier and a few years ahead of than what Boston did, as they really got rolling as a franchise after the Rudy Gay trade, which occurred in December of 2013, I believe. Everyone thought they were tanking that 13-14 season, ended up taking off, and have gotten better on a year-by-year basis ever since. Last year, they were the only team in the Eastern Conference Finals to win a game against the eventual champion Cavaliers. So you got the Celtics, where many people have spent the last few years lamenting when that shoe will drop or that superstar will appear out of nowhere to supposedly put the Celts in a position where they can compete for championships year after year, when in reality, all of a sudden... Here we are, the Boston Celtics have a 50-55 to win team on their hands and will be a major factor in the Eastern Conference and will definitely have it out with other upper echelon teams like the Toronto Raptors. So let's do this. Let's talk about this potential matchup and welcome in Jack Armstrong. Jack is a former head college basketball coach for Niagara University. He currently provides college basketball analysis for Roger Sports Net up in Canada. And he is the color commentator for the Toronto Raptors on TSN. And our interview with Jack is brought to you by American Farmers Network. A consumer should know where their food comes from and the standards that should be adhered to. And American Farmers Network's meats are produced by the network of small family farmers who are committed to the most natural and compassionate approach to ranching. Their production standards go above and beyond even USDA regulations. And all of their certified organic beef is 100% grass-fed. From poultry to pork and, of course, beef, AFN's Family Ranchers are committed to providing you and your family with the healthiest, most nutritious meat so you can live the healthy lifestyle in which you have a right to. So what are you waiting for? Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and eat and live healthy today. Jack, hope I didn't get you too hungry there. First off, welcome in. Welcome back to the CLNS Radio Airwaves. Uh, just, It has certainly been warm down here all summer here in New England. Maybe not the most ideal weather to those who are trying to recuperate a bit during this calm before the storm. But most training camps, they open in about a month. They're a month away. So, so happy you'd take your time to join us during what should be your breather period in your basketball calendar. 
Yeah, no, it's a it's a nice time of year. Olympics are over, and uh, training camp is uh, actually starting a week early in uh, end of September for all the NBA teams, and uh, so it's an exciting time to kind of just catch your breath and know that uh, then the next six, seven, eight months are going to be pretty intense. So uh, really excited about it, looking forward to it. It should be a, a wonderful season, particularly in the Eastern Conference as well as the Atlantic Division. And uh, I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot about the Boston Celtics and the Toronto Raptors right at the top of that division. And that is why we're going to be doing this show. We have you in here. I want to start off very Raptor-centric here, and we'll start by asking you to sort of give us a little blurb on the Raptors offseason. For our audience, their biggest move was actually retaining a player, that being DeMar DeRozan, who entered the offseason as one of the top free agents for any team. He's back in the fold, but lost Bismack Biombo, who had a solid regular season last year, being the replacement for Amir Johnson. He really busted out in the postseason. Also did not bring back Luis Scola and some lesser players. But of notice here in Boston, signed former Celtic Jared Sullinger to a one-year contract. Also utilized two first-round draft choices. So, yeah, Jack, let's hear it for the summer of 2016 for the Toronto Raptors in your words. Uh, quiet, uh, with the exception of, obviously, the signing of, uh, re-signing of DeMar DeRozan. Um, but it's very uh, typical of the work of uh, the president and GM of the team, Masai Ujiri. He's very uh, methodical and uh, calculated and really patient. And he allows things to breathe. And I think uh, he and Dwayne Casey, the coach, feel quite comfortable that uh, the core ingredients of what they're doing in Toronto are are sound and solid. And they don't want to tinker with it too much and get all caught up in the uh, free agent frenzy uh, that went on this summer and that will go on in the next few years with the new, uh, you know, $9 billion. Uh, I'm sorry, a nine-year, $24 billion U.S. TV deal uh, that will, uh, you know, raise the stakes dramatically across the league in terms of the amount of money that's going to be available to teams. So I think they were patient. And uh, I I think the signing of Jared Sullinger uh, is a no-brainer, quite frankly. I think, uh, obviously, the Celtics, uh, it was a tremendous signing getting Al Horford. I'm a huge Al Horford fan. I think he's going to really help. Uh, their team and fit in nicely for them. And at the same time, uh, one door closes, another one opens, and that door opened for the Raptors to get, in my opinion, a guy that will be a starting power forward for them. And all the uh, all the impetus is, is there for a guy like Sullinger to get himself in the greatest shape he's ever been in his life in a one-year deal. All he's got to do is look around at the market and realize that, you know, you look at a guy like Bismack Biombo. Uh, who was with the Raptors a year ago, very limited player from Charlotte, and here he is now getting a four-year, $72 million deal in a, in a, with the Orlando Magic in a, in, a state, in a state where there's no state income tax. So that's, you, know, you can even add a few million more to that. So when I look at the opportunity for a guy like Sullinger in Toronto, where if he could have a career year, well, he's going to have not only the Raptors considering bringing him back, but more importantly, he's going to have 28, 29 other teams uh, uh, vying for his services. So I think it's a good move for the Raptors, and I think it's a good move for Sullinger. That comparison is very interesting in that you threw out Biombo's name because Biombo was the replacement to Amir Johnson, who was a longtime Raptor veteran before he signed with the Celtics last year for what, what many people consider to be a lot of money at the time, being $10 million for two seasons. And Toronto has certainly taken advantage of that, really going bargain basement shopping the last two years and sort of plugging them into their, I you hate using this phrase, but the system. And that really is, you were talking about core ingredients, that pretty much, at least from me, seems to be how it makes how Toronto's been making things work really since December of 2013 when they infamously traded Rudy Gay. They've been one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference the last four years. Last year, of course, that was the big breakthrough. 56 wins, I believe, was a franchise record, but finally broke through. They got off the schneid. They won a playoff series. Actually, they won two playoff series, and they grabbed two wins against the Cavs in the conference finals at home. But, Jack, to the common observer... You know, many people are familiar with some of their individual talents. Kyle Lowry, an Olympian, and now, of course, DeMar Rosen. But again, you were talking about the core ingredients. So if you can, explain to that 
certain someone who watches just a handful of Raptors games a year. Maybe explain what makes that Raptors engine go. And my guess is you're going to need a lot of time for this, so feel free to get the floor as long as you wish. No, I actually don't need a lot of time. Uh, number one, I'll say this. Amir Johnson is one of my all-time favorite players, and I was so sad when he left, and I, I, I'm a huge fan of him. He's a winning player. He's a great guy, and um, I'm happy to see that he'll be back in Boston another year. He's a tremendous guy and a great teammate. Uh, with that being said, in terms of the Raptors, really the thing that makes the Raptors good is their backcourt. And having been a college coach for 14 years, they have what I call uh, an upperclassman backcourt. Uh, they almost have two fifth-year seniors in Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. Those guys have played together for a while. And I really think you can win a lot of games in the NBA when you have intelligent, cohesive, team-oriented guards. And, and, and if you look at the Raptors, a huge reason why is those guys, number one, have stayed healthy. They've played together for a long period of time. They have great relationship and, and friendship. And you've also had a head coach now for a while uh, in Toronto and Dwayne Casey. So there's continuity, there's chemistry, there's role definition. Uh, you've got some players that are part of the program for a while, like Jonas Valanciunas, the starting center. Uh, Terrence Ross, who uh, started for a few years and now comes off the bench. I mean, they've been to the playoffs three straight years. So there's a, there's a pecking order. There's an understanding of where everyone fits in the grand scheme of things. Uh, you know, it will be difficult to win 56 games again and get back to the Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, probably it's going to be difficult. At the same time, on a nightly basis, the thing that the Raptors do, uh, as well as anyone in the NBA, is they show up every night and they give a professional performance and they play hard. And I think when you do that, you give yourself a chance to win every night. Are they the most talented team in the league? No, they're not. Uh, at the same time, are they a team that punches the clock on a regular basis and shows up and is professional? Yes, absolutely. That's why they were in the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Are they as good as the Cleveland Cavs? No, they're not. Talent eventually won out. But uh, the bottom line is you could have a great regular season and you can even go a bit of a ways in the playoffs by just having those good habits. That continuity, too, is, I think, one of the most pivotal aspects that the Raptors have going for them. We're going to be previewing the Indiana Pacers a little here later in the show, and I personally thought Indiana had a great offseason, but they brought in so many new pieces and a new coach. You have to wonder that they're going to have to redo everything and just sort of learn and just do things the hard ways. And it is amazing how much value that does have, especially to playoff experience. It's tough to say, oh, you know, they have not even tough to say. Some people, a lot of people do like to roll their eyes when they say, oh, playoff experience, blah, 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 blah. But it is amazing how those cliches matter. Is there a way for you even to put that into words, especially with the Raptors finally breaking through last year, where as opposed to the two prior years, they had a lot, they had two disappointing playoff exits when they lost to Brooklyn on their home floor in a game seven. Then they got swept out by Washington after they swept Washington in the regular season. I mean, it seems like a very bland question, Jack, but I mean, I almost have to ask it. How valuable was that playoff run of the Raptors last year, especially to that particular group? Well, I think it's huge, and and on top of that, I, I think that uh, there were nights that Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, their best two players, really struggled, and uh, I, I think uh, you know that's still going to be uh, something that they look at. Are there enough weapons around those guys to complement them? Is Terrence Ross ready to take another step? Uh, you know, is Norman Powell? Uh, rookie who played very well at the end of the season for them and well in the Indiana series in the first round of the playoffs. Are those guys going to be a little bit more polished and accomplished? Is Jonas Valanciunas ready to take another step? You know, will Sullinger be that guy that on many nights Louis Scola was and uh, on many nights the previous years uh, Amir Johnson was? Uh, can he be that consistent force at the four spot and allow Patrick Patterson to come off the bench, who's, a, I think, a, one of the better reserves in the NBA. Uh, but I do think that he, he gets exposed a little bit when he's got to play front-line guys on a consistent basis. So, I, again, I just think they have a good, tight-knit group with good basketball IQ, sound coaching, sound management, 
very committed ownership. And uh, you can go a long way in this league uh, by doing that. And, you know, and I, I think sometimes uh, GMs try to outsmart themselves and, and get too impulsive. And I think Masai Ujiri is a very deliberate, patient guy. And I think uh, the fact that he's allowed it to grow kind of internally and, and kind of built around the edges really, really makes a difference. And uh, I, I look at what Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens are doing in Boston, and I'm Very really similar. impressed. Yeah, I'm really impressed with what they do. And, and uh, uh, they're both really accomplished basketball men. And uh, I, I like, again, I mentioned this at the beginning of the interview, I, I'm so excited about this season in the Atlantic Division. I think the Knicks will be better. I mean, Philadelphia will be slightly better. Uh, the Nets are still a young team, but I think Boston and Toronto, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I think the Eastern Conference uh, beyond Cleveland uh, is going to be that much more competitive, and I think it'll be, uh, again, the teams like a Boston, like a Toronto that are well-coached, well-managed, and have good role definition and just solid guys that show up and punch the clock every night can go a long way and have a good season and that's all you know that's all you want to do and then if you get you get into the playoffs anything can happen so i gotta ask you this before we get into that raptors celtics matchup i'm gonna put you on the spot is that okay sure what do you think raptors better or worse than last year's team i think they'll probably uh be slightly off from where they were a year ago i mean they've won 48 49 and then 56 games in the last three years. So I would put them right now somewhere between 50 and 55, which if I could sign up for that right now, where can I sign up for it? I'd be thrilled. Uh, again, I think there's going to be some adjustment period. Uh, people, you know, I mean, Louis Scola played well for them. Uh, you know, a, you know, a guy like Bismack Biombo played well. James Johnson at times filling in for the injured Damari Carroll played well. Uh, is Damari Carroll going to be healthy this year? If he is, that'll help. Uh, I just think that, you know, the second unit will have some question marks early on. How quickly will Selinger get back, you know, get into the mix? And more importantly, will he be committed to have the greatest season of his life as a professional? If he does, he's going to be a very wealthy man next summer. So uh, I think a lot of those things are in play, but I feel very confident that it's going to be neck and neck the whole way with the Celtics and the Raptors. I think Jonas Valanciunas, too, I think he's a key guy for Toronto if he can get healthy because there were times last year he was exceptional when he was on the floor, but he had an assortment of injuries. Hand, I think he went out with an ankle in the playoffs. But you've been talking about the Celtics, and of course this is why we have you here. I do want to now shift towards the actual comparison between the two teams, and I think there's no better way to the start than going by some prior evidence now, both teams, they've had some major changes, as we've already touched upon in Toronto's end. You even alluded to right off the bat, of course, with Boston. But let's go back to last year here. The Raptors, they won the season series 3-1. to one. Of course, they won the first three games. But I'm actually just not sure how much stock you can actually put into that. In my eyes, I do remember a few years ago, as I stated, when Toronto swept Washington in the season series, only to have the Wizards turn the tables on them in the playoffs. And last year, Toronto, they won the second game of the year in Boston when that Celtics team was very out of sync. They grabbed another win when Crowder was out, which enabled DeMar DeRozan to go off for 35 in a game in March. Then likewise, when Boston's only win against Toronto, that was against the Raptors' win Lowry didn't even play, so really tough to draw some hard-line takeaways from that season series. But what did jump out at all of us, Jack, and I remember a conversation me and you had on the Celtics pregame show last year prior to that fourth game was, how in the world did Toronto's guards play so well against Boston's perimeter defense throughout those first three games of their regular season matchups last year? Yeah, no, that was that was something that I thought the Raptors took advantage. Of, you know, and, and a lot of times we forget to talk. We talk so much about Lowry and DeRozan, we forget to talk a lot about a guy like Corey Joseph, who's a tremendous slasher. He made a lot and, of shots against the Celtics yeah, in that second yes, game. Yes, and he's a, he's very good in screen and role play, and you know he's got to improve as a three point shooter. Uh, but I, I, he's a he's a developing guy coming from San Antonio with great winning habits. You know, Terrence Ross is a you know a guy that if you if you leave him open, he can really burn you for the three point line. Um, you know, and a guy like Damari Carroll, if he's right, 
you know, so I think the Raptors have a lot of solid weapons on the perimeter uh, that can really help them. And uh, I, I, th- I think Boston does as well. Uh, I think that uh, this year coming up, uh, the, the thing that's really going to help Boston, if, if, if a young man like Kelly Olynyk is healthy, and more importantly, a guy like Al play the way he's played in Atlanta, uh, I think that's going to make a huge difference. I think it'll really benefit their team greatly because now it puts Toronto in a difficult spot. Not only Toronto, but a lot of teams in the league um, now having a guard, a guy like Isaiah Thomas, in, in even more space, uh, which is, in my opinion, one of the toughest matchups in the NBA. That guy is on the verge at times of being unguardable. He's just so uh, shifty and crafty and able to get his game off. And, and, again, I think Brad Stevens is one of the most innovative offensive coaches in the league, uh, that their system really works. And I think a guy like Al Horford is going to really make a difference uh, in terms of how they look and how they play. So suffice to say, you're a pretty big fan of that Celtics offseason and a pretty big fan of that addition. If I want to say, stick it a little Raptors-centric, what weaknesses do you think that Toronto has that Boston could exploit? Maybe even other teams could, but stick it to the Celtics. I think the biggest uh, concern I have with the Raptors is just depth. You know, I mean, there, there comes a point where now uh, your younger guys have got to develop. So you got a guy like DeLon Wright, who was their number one pick a year ago, uh, you know, he's going to be out for an early part of the year with a shoulder, with shoulder injury, surgery. Uh, you know, is, is a guy like Norman Powell a flash in the pan or a guy who's going to be a truly consistent player on a night-to-night basis for them? Their second-round pick out of UCLA, who's a terrific kid and, a, and a, could be a good player in this league. Uh, you know, and then you got to look at guys like... Uh, Lucas Nagera and, and Bruno Caboclo, guys that have you know, been in the program now for a few years. Uh, at some point in time, you've got to get off the uh, developmental label and actually be a guy that can actually be counted on on a night-to-night basis to not only play, but more importantly, play and play effectively and help win. Uh, so, you know, if the Raptors have any sort of injuries for a, a period of time, uh, those guys now get, become that much more into the mix, and are they ready? Uh, it's one thing to be ready to play. It's another thing to be able to contribute and help a team win. So I, I think that's the biggest vulnerability for the Raptors is that, um, you know, what is their depth and how good is it? And on the other hand, I think the other thing, too, that uh, helped them a lot was a guy like Bismack Biombo was a tremendous 50-50 rebounder, great rim protector in terms of a shot blocker, excellent offensive rebounder, kind of defensively, but definitely a guy that could do a lot for you. It's interesting that you mentioned the depth being such a weakness of the Raptors because that is something that I've always considered to be an advantage for the Raptors, particularly over these last two to three seasons. I guess it's more of a case that they have question marks at the position. So basically, uh, then why not I ask you this, for fun, if a playoff season to sort of wrap this thing up, we'll a little, have a little fun. It is August 28th, but for fun, if a little playoff season series, excuse me, started tomorrow, Jack, give me a little prediction on that. Between the Celtics and the Raptors? Yes. I'm going to go with home court. Who's the team with home court? Uh, I think more regular the, season games then. Yeah, well, I, 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 I think it's going to be, I tell you what, it could come down to the last few days of the season. Uh, I, I think that uh, Al Horford's a big addition to the Celtics. Uh, I, I kind of, uh, but I'm going to go with the Raptors maybe winning one more regular season game than, than the Celtics, and I'm going to go with the Raptors probably in seven in a playoff series. But I could easily be wrong. I, I think it's that close. It's going to be that interesting and that exciting. And, again, I think they're two really good teams uh, that on a night-to-night basis, not only in their own division, but more importantly in the conference and around the league, that people are just not going to want to play. I do think that that playoff experience edge that the Raptors have over Boston is almost certainly going to be the play. It's very interesting. It's almost like the Celtics are what the Raptors were 
about two years ago, and they were both on similar paths in that they are building their teams internally. The Raptors only just started getting rolling, as I stated, back in December of 2013 when they traded Rudy Gay, and the Celtics really started to get rolling back in January of 2015, a month after that Rajon Rondo trade when they had everything sort of set in. So it's almost like the Raptors are a little bit ahead, not in terms of the calendar of maybe possibly getting a championship, but just in terms of being able to win playoff games and in that atmosphere. Because like I said, Boston is, have a, they've been in the postseason the last two years, but they have just two playoff wins. Okay, to get you out of here, Jack, I'm going to ask you one more question. I've been doing this series on whom I consider the Celtics rivals in the conference to be this year. Of course, Toronto being one. And of course, likewise, it looks like Toronto is going to be taking Boston very seriously this year, especially after those little words that Jay Crowder had to say late July where it's not much. But say for Cleveland, let's just take Cleveland out of the mix. Are you concerned about anybody else in the conference in the East? You said a few teams did get better, but, I mean, Philadelphia, of course, they're not going to be much of a factor, even the Knicks for that matter. So really anybody else in the conference that could make a little hay in terms of creating a dent in the Eastern Conference playoffs? I, I think, you know, I coached uh, in college with Stan Van Gundy years ago at, at Fordham, and I think he's one of the best coaches in the league. I think he's building something real positive there. I think Detroit's going to be much better. Larry, you mentioned earlier about Indiana. They've made a lot of changes. I think they're going to be really good. They're a real wild card. They are a wild card, but I, I, I think they're going to be a team that uh, you know you can count on. Now, Atlanta is kind of a weird team. A lot's going to depend on how things uh, kind of create themselves with a guy like uh, Dwight Howard. But, uh, you know, I, I really think if, if you're Cleveland, the teams you're going to be looking at and that you're really concerned about would be uh, Boston and Toronto in particular and probably Atlanta and Indiana as well. And, uh you know, I, I think those would be teams right now that jump out at me. I think Miami will probably take a step back. Uh, Chicago and New York, I'm still kind of trying to figure out what they're about. Orlando, I'm not sure about. Charlotte, uh, Steve Clifford's done a great job there and uh, never count them out. But I, I think those would be the teams right now that jump out at me that, uh, you know, that could make a dent in the, in the conference. TSN's Jack Armstrong, color commentator for the television home of the Toronto Raptors. Jack, thanks so much for doing this, and look forward to having you on the pregame show this coming season. Larry, my pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your summer. Again, TSN's Jack Armstrong. Jack, you have my word. I will do so. I will enjoy the rest of my summer. What is left of it with Labor Day? Eight days, eight days away now. Jesus goodness. Uh, anyways, interesting what Coach said about Toronto's depth. As I said earlier, I felt like that was one of their defining traits. So much of this being a very educational piece, huh? But they've had these great benches in recent years. Remember the gay trade back in 2013-14? That really made their second unit one of the best in the league when they were able to bring in Patrick Patterson, who Jack mentioned. Also, Gravis Vasquez. He hasn't been on the Raptors in a few years, but he was really good off that bench for that particular team. But not only that, The Raptors' ability to plug in a new component or even a new components every year and really getting the most out of that particular player for that very season. It's sort of like the Oakland A's, the Moneyball A's back in the early 2000s, always finding that bargain basement type piece that they really squeezed a great year out of for pennies on the dollar, be it Bismack Vallambo last year, who Toronto used. What they could have paid Amir Johnson for, they used his money to sign by Ambo. He comes in, he's got, he has a nice year, an amazing playoffs, playing, playing stellar defense around the basket, putting up these big rebounding totals, has a great postseason series, especially against the Miami Heat in the second round. Then he gets a big payday with the Magic, and now Jared Sullinger. We'll see with that, but one thing Jack and I touched upon were the Indiana Pacers, a team who a few years ago, Looked as if they'd own the conference for years to come, or at the very least, be at the top of it battling out with LeBron. They had that great young core, but some chemistry issues a few years ago really sabotaged what was once a very promising season. Then the influx of small ball throughout the league, coupled with the rapid decline of Roy Hibbert, took away almost everything about that Pacers team out of nowhere. The other part, of course, Paul George, one of the league's best players. He gets nearly a year off his career taken away from him, and then he has to work his way back. He certainly did that last year. He seems to be back. He had a great year. But the Pacers, 
They've fallen off from the top of the Eastern Conference pedestal. They're coming off a 45 and 37 season. They finished seventh in the Eastern Conference. Then they made a ton of changes, changes that I like. They certainly upgraded much of their talent base, but new coach, likely a new system, new players. As I said with Jack, a real wild card in the conference. They've got one of the best players in the league. They have a ton of talent now, but will it mesh? We're going to find out the best we can as we'll now bring in Pacers color commentator and good friend of CLNS Radio, Quinn Buckner, in our Indiana Pacers breakdown segment with Quinn is brought to you by Blue Apron. Deliveries right to your doorstep, fresh, high-quality ingredients, organic vegetables, fats, and meat in the cleanest and freshest of states, which taste better and are better for you as Blue Apron believes that it is imperative for you to know where your food comes from. It is also already pre-portioned, and they give you easy-to-follow instructions so you can cook with and for your family and friends. And it's all for less than $10 per meal, and the bargain gets even better. Go to blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. You will get your first three meals free with free shipping. There's almost no risk here, and you'll so greatly help our operation. So again, blueapron.com slash Celticsbeat. For three free meals with free shipping on your first order. Quinn, want to thank you for joining the Seal on Us Radio Airwaves once again. We're here with Quinn Buckner. And Quinn, like Jack, is a staple on the Seal on Us Radio Celtics pregame show prior to Celtics Pacers games. And Quinn, bear with me a bit here. I'm going to do a rundown of the Pacers offseason just as I did with the Toronto for the sake of our audience before we really get rolling. The Pacers, in my eyes at least talent-wise, really upgraded their team as much as anyone this side of Oakland. They had a huge makeover both on and off the court, letting coach Frank Vogel and go and replacing him with Nate McMillan. But let's start with the additions to the roster. Jeff Teague acquired from Atlanta in a three-team trade with the Jazz. Thaddeus Young, who had a career year last year for the Nets, they acquired him from Brooklyn on draft night. Big free agent signing, former Celtic forward center Al Jefferson, three years, $30 million. Also picked up Alan Brooks, one-year deal. He had a decent season a few years ago, trying to get another good year out of him. Indiana will see if they can get a spark there. Also got Jeremy Evans from Dallas, picked up Georges Neng, the second-round 50th pick overall. I probably butchered that name completely. The departures, George Hill, he was in that Jeff Teague trade. He was traded to Utah in that three-team deal. Jan Mahinmi is a solid veteran big who had a very good year last year. He signed with Washington. Solomon Hill signed with New Orleans. Jordan Hill signed with the Minnesota Timberwolves. And Ty Lawson, who the Pacers picked up last year. I'm not even sure the team picked him up. He's really fallen off the map. But, Quinn, it is now time to turn it over to you to offer your analysis on the summer the Pacers had. Well, um, I, listen, I think Larry Bird and Kevin Pitcher did a great job. Larry, Larry is, is always trying to make sure that he's got guys that plays together. And I think one other thing that happened was the marketplace changed. And, and by virtue of that, you lose a number of players. Solomon Hill is gone principally because he was going to – Pacers made a decision not to hold him restricted. And then he was out of the marketplace. So is John Mahaney. George Hill is somewhat of a casualty of the way Larry Bird wants to play. He wants to play at a faster tempo. So you get Jeff T. So now you get a faster tempo. You get a little bit more activity with Thaddeus Young bringing him over at the four spot. The, the real key, I mean, obviously Paul George is coming off an Olympic year, and it's great to see him done, have done that. Miles Turner is going to turn out to be a really good basketball player, and you had to find people that could play with Miles Turner and Paul. And I think all of this is really based upon the fact you want to be a better team, but you've got to continue to get better because Paul George – has the option in a couple of years to decide whether or not he will be a part of the Pacers organization. So if you don't make strides to get better, then that's kind of a challenge. Now, in addition to that, the game changed uh, from when Roy Hibbert was with the Pacers and now gone. So as the game changed and speeded up, you had to get more athletic players. And that was principally what Larry, uh, Larry Bird and Kevin Pritchard looked at. How could they be more athletic given that's where the game is? That was sort of the big reason as to why the Pacers broke up the team, not even this past summer, but a few years ago as well when they were trying to completely play play at a different pace. And Roy Hibbert essentially expired in the NBA, of course, going to his declining skills. I do want to get to that in terms of the challenges of what the Pacers will do off the court. But Nate McMillan was pretty much, from at least from what I've read from afar, maybe you can correct me on this, the only man that Indiana considered seriously for that position is that the predominant philosophy that he's really just going to sort of inhibit in this team is to do what they were trying to do last year, and that was that pace and, splay, 
pace and space, excuse me, and play much faster than they did from a few years ago. No doubt about it. Larry Bird and uh, Kevin made a decision. Nate had been on the staff. Um, you'd seen the job that uh, you, you got from Frank Vogel, and nobody can argue with the job that he had done. I think part of the challenge is to figure out whether or not that's something that he's going to be able to do as the game changes. Uh, and I think Larry's view was that he wanted to play at a different pace. It wasn't, you know, no knock on Frank, because Frank's obviously uh, done a great job for the pace. You get to the you know, conference finals, you've done a terrific job. And then he's now with uh, Orlando. But if it's the, when the game changed, everybody has to make an adjustment. And Larry felt like this was an adjustment he had to make. And Nate was the guy that they wanted. Defensively, Nate will be, I think, solid, as he's always been. And I think that's what's going to have to be one of the real backbones of this team that's going to have successes, what it does defensively, how it rebounds the ball, because you've got enough scores. And, and keeping guys in, in, in their roles. Uh, and I think that's been part of what the Pacers are looking to do, get guys that play roles, because Paul's going to score. Miles Turner is going to score. Monte Ellis is going to find a way to get back. You've got to remember, Stucky's still on the team, and we haven't even talked about C.J. Miles. So you've got offensive players and just that five alone. So you add that other group, and now you get yourself in a game that has some pace. You open up the floor where Thaddeus is probably more comfortable. Uh, I think you get that Jeff Teague is more comfortable. So you get that. Now let's take into consideration looking at a second unit, which is always, I think, a really critical part of teams. Is how does your second unit play? Well, you got to plan differently with Al Jefferson, who's a terrific post player that you've got to look to double up on. And if you double up, double on him, and you've got Miles, CJ Miles out on the perimeter, and you know a couple other guys, he can make shots. Now you've got a different pace game, and and so you got to speed it up game if you have to play that way. You can slow it down if you've got to play it that way. And really good teams can play at either tempo, and that was what is being that, that's what the Pacers want to do this year. And I just had Coach Jack Armstrong here, Toronto Raptors color commentator, and w- one of the driving staples of the Raptors is their continuity. And we were all talking about what a wild card the Pacers will be in the Eastern Conference this year because they had an offseason where on paper they added a lot of talent. But as we've been talking about, it is for the second year in a row where there's not only a roster makeover, as last year they parted ways with Roy Hibbert and changed their whole offense to go along with that pace and space trend in the NBA. And now it is this summer with likewise another philosophical shift or actually even a greater emphasis on that philosophical shift they were looking for last year. In your estimation, this I guess is an ultimate guesstimation of, of us all. How long do you think this is going to come together for Indiana? And you know what, what really are the challenges for Nate McMillan or anyone else uh, associated with the roster of making this talent work together so quickly? So I think you and, and, and Coach Jack were right. I mean, it, it's a challenge, and it's a huge challenge because you've got to get everybody to start seeing things the same, reacting to things the same. And I don't think, you know, I don't, don't misconstrue this comparison. I think it's the same kind of thing. David Robinson, the great center from San Antonio, made this thought about uh, Golden State. All of these things take time. You've got human beings here. Everybody's got to get comfortable with what is expected of them, uh, from both from the coaching staff, from their teammates, and showing. so that's that takes time. I don't even know. If, I'm not sure you can quantify what that, that does. I mean, that, what kind of time that takes. Hopefully it comes sooner than later, but I don't think anybody can really put a, a real finite point as to when that chemistry comes together where everybody is not only on the same page. My, my saying is you've got to be on the same words, on the same page, at the same time in order to be a highly efficient team, and that's the way the Pacers have to be. I don't know how long that takes. It just depends on – how everybody accepts the role that they have and, and accepts the coaching they're going to get. Because they're going to get coached very hard. And that's kind of how Nate McMillan coaches, and I think that'll be good for some guys that, that understand the very specific things you must do in order to stay on the floor. So, again, that, that takes time, and it depends on – I think the most important thing here, uh, I had Wayne Embry, who's a great Celtic, had this, this great saying. He said, Quinn, you got to remember, these are not assets. These are human beings. And every human being is different. And the way they handle things are different. And if you're not really cognizant of that, you get in trouble. And I think that's really the, the critical importance, understanding who you're dealing with and how they handle things. Yeah, there are a few examples over the last many years. Even when the most talented teams have come together, it has taken a year. Really, the only example is Boston in 07, 08, when they won the championship, when they took together that super team. But every other team, it's taken them at least a year. Look, go to Cleveland, you go to Miami. Are there really, what do you think, are there, are there any other weaknesses on the Pacers that jump out at you outside of this unknown factor? No, I think the two, the critical issues are you got a lot, you got a number of offensive players. How well do you defend as a team? I'm not worried about individual defense. I am worried about individual responsibility because if you play really good team defense, 
you have individual responsibility to make the team better. I think that's going to be a challenge. And I think the ability to rebound the ball was a big problem for the Pacers last year. That has to be part of your defense to make sure that you have, you know, one and done. Basically, people shoot it. That's the only opportunity they get. And then you can make the play going back the other way. So those are the two areas of concern that I would, would have. I want to shift a little bit towards an individual talent because the Pacers have plenty of it, almost as much as anyone in the conference outside of possibly Cleveland. You were talking about it a lot at the beginning of this interview. Obviously, Miles Turner, he had the big rookie season last year. Everything, Everyone at least seems to expect that he'll continue to grow as a player. But really what makes the Pacers so unique from the conference is particularly challengers to Cleveland is they're the only team with a singular talent. Paul George last year really reestablished himself Great individual season. He had an incredible playoffs against Toronto in a losing effort and reaffirmed his claim as one of the best two-way players in the league. He's just a menace defensively on the wing as well. I mean, could you go in a little more in depth of where he's at now after some fair questions regarding what his future was going to be after that injury in the USA inter-squad exhibition two years ago? Well, I think that's a great question, but the reality is that they, if you follow basketball at all, you already alluded to Paul, Paul George is back. And, and uh, my partner, Kristen Aaron, I could see that almost immediately after he'd come back. But I thought the thing that, that really, and I think his confidence is going to be at a high level because he was a big part of the success of the, the 2016 Olympic champion uh, of the Olympic basketball team. So I think he'll have great confidence. But I thought he started to assert himself as a leader uh, of a team from an offensive standpoint, uh, from both sides, because I agree with you. I think he's one of the top two or three two-way players in, in the game. Yeah, top two anyway. Kawhi Leonard's clearly Leonard, up yeah. there, but... What he was able to do offensively, the game slowed down for him. And as I was doing games during the playoffs in Toronto, that's what I noticed. It slowed down. He knew where he was trying to get. He knew where he got there, exactly what he wanted to do. And there, and when you know a guy's got supreme confidence, he'll, he'll get into a scenario that you've not seen him in before, and you don't see any rushed movement. And I'm telling you, during the playoffs, I did not see that, particularly in the last three or four games. He got... He put a lot of pressure on the defense anytime he had the ball and he was under control. And that's what great players do. And that's what I think is going to be really beneficial, not only to Paul, but to the entire team. Because now he sees the game as it slowed down for a terrific player. Yeah, one of the things I think to watch for regarding Paul George is because I remember Jermaine O'Neal complained about this. Now this is almost 15 years ago when he played on that infamous national team that finished in sixth place back in the summer of 2002. He was talking about how he struggled the following year at least shooting the basketball because he just it took him a while for him to get his legs back after that summer. So that's some, something I'm going to be watching with Paul George and the Pacers. But, Quinn, I do want to get you out of here. And a way to sort of wrap this thing up is... The Celtics, they had an offseason that got a lot of rave reviews. I mean, basically just had Jack here. He was in that choir as well. Safe to say, are you a member of that little church scene? I think, that, I think Danny, listen, I played with Danny, and Danny has done a terrific job. I think they've done as, as good as, as well as they could. I think inevitably what happens, in my opinion, is because, and I'm, a, I'm in the media, there is a certain uh, expectation that is created within the media, and when that expectation is not met or exceeded. You therefore think that the organization, the person be the case, didn't have a good or great year. I think Danny did as good as, as well as he could. I think one of the things he was trying to do is figure out how to leverage, leverage the assets that he had. And rightfully, if it doesn't leverage the way you want it to be, don't do it. So I think by virtue of that, people saw all the assets and in, in, uh, in players that you could trade for in, in draft picks and what have you. If he doesn't do that, he didn't have what was terrific. I think they'll be all right. I really do. Because when you look at Al Horford is going to help them. I don't think there's any two ways about it. I, I mean, I think Evan Turner was a big part of what, what they did. But I think you have one of the top two or three coaches in all of basketball. I'm a huge Brad Stevens fan, and it didn't matter that I uh, watched him a great deal here in Butler. Brad Stevens, when I've watched his teams play, have rarely looked like they didn't know what they were doing and didn't know what they're doing in unison. They know what they're trying to do. And that's hard to do for a coach who hasn't been in the league very long. But that tells you Brad, Brad Stevens is a terrific coach. I do want to ask you this question to get you out of here because we only got a few minutes left, and it's the best for last. Let's say, hypothetically, a playoff season series, excuse me, started tomorrow between the Pacers and the, Pacers and the Celtics. Tell me how it's going to go. I'm thinking the Pacers. What, are you kidding me here? I work for the Pacers. <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> what kind of question okay. is that? <laughs> Besides, you work for the Pacers. <laughs> well, I, I, I like what they've done. I think if you look at it from a pure team experience standpoint, you've got to look at the Celtics because Isaiah Thomas 
has done some really good things for them. I, I think that it, it creates some challenges uh, for the Pacers because I think there are a couple of guys that get Paul George trouble. And, uh, Paul, yeah. and one of them is Marcus. Marcus Smart because of the way he plays. He's, he's into him and those kinds of things. But I think you now have something. I think Brad has, has got a, a, a somebody he can count on, a reliable person you can play in the front court. And that's not – I'm not discrediting the other guys. I'm saying that Al Horford is – yeah, maybe. Al Horford is better than what they've been able to have in the front court. You know what you're going to get from him. You know what you're going to get from Isaiah. They'll play together. They'll open it up. And they'll really be able to springboard some of the other guys to be able to get shots that they can make. I thought because Boston uh, was trying to find offense, you often had guys that you probably would prefer not to take some shots, but because you don't have a lot of options, you really can't tell them not to take it. I think with Horford and Isaiah playing together, you can get better shots and, and create better options for people you want shooting shots a little closer to the basket. And I don't want to leave out Avery Bradley, who I think is a terrific player. But my point is, you get those people shots that they're, they're more comfortable at taking and making, and I think that's going to help Boston. Perfect timing. I'm still pulling for the Pacers. <laughs> hey, we got that timing perfectly, though. But Quinn Buckner, Fox Sports, Indiana. Quinn, thanks so much for doing this with us once again. And talk to you on the pregame show in a few runs, my friend. We look forward to it. Let's pause briefly for station identification. You're listening to CLNS Radio, home to the original Celtics podcast, Celtics Stuff Live. Loved that finish. Seemed to give plenty of reasons as to why Boston, not Indiana, would win a hypothetical playoff series. And some good reasons as to why. But that was Quinn Buckner, ladies and gentlemen, who's been in and around the NBA circles for basically 40 years now. Obviously a player in the league, winning that title with the Celtics in 84, coming off the bench with Danny Ainge. That great seven-game series against the Lakers. Did a little coaching in the, in the league. Has now been a broadcaster for over 20 years. I remember his work on NBC when they cover the NBA. <laughs> yes, yes, this is a 90s kid over here. But yeah, Quinn did color commentary for the NBA on NBC, also did ESPN Radio's coverage of the playoffs in the early 2000s. Now been doing Pacers games for Fox Sports Indiana since 2004. Happy he offered his insight here. You'll hear more of him on the CLNS Radio Celtics pregame show, but so glad we were able to steal him at the end of August because this Pacers team is going to be very intriguing, and how it plays out for them will have major implications on the landscape of the conference. After the show post was released on clnsradio.com this past Friday, I got a few tweets on my at clns underscore LHR Twitter of, why did you include the Pacers? This was a 45-win team last year, a DNQ two years ago, a 7th seed this past year, which fired his coach. And yes, the Pacers are probably not as established in the conference the same way the Raptors are, and quite possibly now how the Celtics have become, and obviously let alone the Cavs. But as I brought up with Quinn, Indiana is the only team in the East that has that individual pinnacle talent that can match what Cleveland has. Paul George just three years ago went toe-to-toe with LeBron, mano a mano, almost knocked off probably the best LeBron was individually and the best team he was ever on, that 2013 Miami Heat team. That was a team that went on that 28-game winning streak or whatever it was that won the title against the Spurs. But it's certainly going to be an interesting situation out there because all of what they have to fit in because they brought in a lot of talent and they brought in a lot. There's going to be issues of getting in acclimated with each other, with these players. There's going to be issues in terms of jostling of lineups and who plays where, who fits where, what lineups produce net positive results, being able to gather enough data on for the coaching staff to make decisions, I mean, getting enough sample sizes. I mean, remember what a struggle it was for the Celtics Earlier in the year last year, players complaining about the randomness of playing situations, playing time, ahem, Jay Crowder. So odds are they're going to have issues getting all these pieces acclimated. And also, likely entirely different schemes from a new coach, granted a coach that some players like Paul George and Miles Turner are familiar with from last year with Nate McMillan. But there's no question of the talent they brought in. Al Jefferson, who will slow things down for them for the be- off the bench, hopefully can produce can still score efficiently with his back to the basket as he's got a lot of miles on him now as a player. He's been dealing with injuries the past few years down there in Charlotte. But Thad Young, he had a career year last year and is in a contract year this year. And Jeff Teague, I mean, former All-Star, they already have George and Turner. That is going to be a fast team. Remember how the Miami Heat with LeBron and Wade and Bosch, it took them, I want to say, a year before they got in sync offensively, and they really struggled out of the gates going 9-8 and eight early on in that first year. And no, I am not comparing this Pacers team to the Super Friends. I'm just talking about 
their likely uneasiness on the offensive end with so many new players, but how they can mask that and even rectify it with their team speed alone, just as Miami did. You know, the Heat in 2011, they just started running like crazy, and they used that team speed, and they just got offense that way. So it doesn't take a genius to figure out that's what Indiana can do, especially early on in the year as players get assimilated there, because if they do figure it out by the end of the year, me and Quinn had a little fun about a potential Boston and Indiana playoff series, and Lord knows these two teams have played enough in their franchise's history. That would be a tough tough out for the Celtics, no matter who's got the home court, because it's amazing those cliches, how they seem to apply in playoff basketball as much as we hate them. The Pacers have the guy that's done it before and has been in situations that almost every one of these Celtics players have not. Indiana would have far and away the best player in the series, let alone everything else that the Pacers could have going for them with all their roster depth and versatility, which is something to counter Boston's supposed strengths. So the Pacers, see, this is why I sorted this particular show this way, is that the first team we looked at, the Toronto Raptors, the reigning Atlantic Division champions, that's a team that has a ceiling, but you kind of know what you're going to get from them. And then you got Indiana, who is a real, here's that phrase again, wild card. They could really struggle out of the gates, and maybe it does never come together for them. And you already heard Quinn fret over the possibility of another Larry Bird reboot not working out, which could lead to an eventual Paul George departure. But if it does, if they figure it out this year and maximize what is on that roster now, because what is on that roster is a lot, that is a very, very dangerous team. They could, not saying they will, nor would I bet on it, they could, if all goes right, knock Cleveland off. Dare I say it, don't shoot me, but those percentage points, even if they're in the single digits, they are there, which is something that I can't say for everybody else in the conference, Raptors and Celtics included. So yeah, put myself in the firing lie a bit with that final comment. Do hope you enjoyed this show, though, and how we'll be doing these shows the next few weeks here. You heard me reference the pregame show a few times, which Quinn and Jack are both on for Pacers and Raptors games when they match up with Boston. And these two interviews that were conducted in this broadcast are formatted in how we do things on the pregame show. So we'll be doing that this season in 2016-17. A heads up on the CLNS Radio Celtics pregame show for those interested. It is actually in the postgame feed. So subscribe by searching for the CLNS Radio Celtics postgame show on iTunes and Stitcher now. And of course, download the free CLNS Radio mobile app to get access to the pregame show, which features Quinn and Coach Jack and many others in the first pregame show to release before the Celtics tip off later that day or night. But that is then... This is now the CLNS Radio mobile app. Gives you instantaneous access anytime, anyplace, anywhere to podcasts such as this, Real GM Radio, Celtic Stuff Live, of course. The widely acclaimed YouTube legend, Coach Nick. His B-Ball Breakdown podcast, which has been doing divisional previews throughout the summer. That is also on the app as well as the remainder of the Beat Series, Bruins Beat, Red Sox Beat. And now deep into training camp, Patriots Beat and the CLNS Radio New England Patriots postgame show airing live after every single Pats game. All on the app, available for free download for your iPhone and Android to give you plenty of listening because we only got the 60 here. Time constraints. They, of which they prevented me from getting around to some Abdel Nader talk. Kid tore it up in Summer League, little contract dispute, or more so a roster dispute. Celts just didn't have the room for him. He wanted a spot. But management got a small win there, being able to stash him in Maine for the season, keeping his rights. So yay on that in a way. But that's kind of all I have to say, even as the Celtics have actually been in the news this week, this final full week of August. Not sure that's a good thing. Usually, quote-unquote, news at the end of August it generally isn't good. Generally isn't. That's why we're conducting these preview shows these next few weeks, which, again, want to thank Brendan E. Feel free to pitch me some ideas, critiques, and, of course, let us know what you think of this show by rating and reviewing Celtics Beat on iTunes. How was number 172? Because it is now at its conclusion Credit time. Music for this show is provided by Will Rock and Steph Legretto. Be sure to follow us on social media. Twitter, I'm at CLNS underscore LHR. The show is at Celtics underscore Beat. Like Celtics Beat on Facebook to keep up with the show at Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. Google Plus, Celtics Beat on CLNS. Extending our gratitude to Jack Armstrong and Quinn Buckner for joining the CLNS Radio Airwaves once again. Cannot thank our audience enough for listening and making this show the most downloaded weekly Celtics podcast on iTunes. 
For our sponsors, Blue Apron and American Farmers Network, staff writer Eddie Santiago, graphic designer Taylor Otter, the founder of the network, Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host, I'm Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat, powered by CLNS Radio.